Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero. Today, we have a very special episode prepared for you. Our guest is a pillar of the Magnolia community here in Knoxville, Tennessee, Miss Felicia Utsi. Miss Felicia, I believe you're going to start us off with a poem. Is that correct? I am. You're, I am. You, the stage is yours. All right. Love is that one thing we all have stored deep down inside. If we would only pull it out and give it a try and practice it like an old instrument with potential to play in the highest of octaves that move angels. Instead of fear, let us be moved in love like a beautiful dancer in releve as in ballet with every leap, pirouette, and chasse, or the syncopated hip-hop beat that moves our feet even when the lyrics fall on deaf ears, and sometimes the beat is all you need to hear. Let every one of us allow love to be that glue that binds all the different and uniquely shaped pieces of the bigger picture together without questioning the value of the smallest piece because of the greater significance of any piece that is missing, just like this poem. Let love be like music to your ear that you didn't expect to hear in an acceptance speech, but you went along with it because anything pertaining to Dr. King should have faith, hope, and love in it. According to the Reverend, love, love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral cosmos. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. The fact that we are united in love to overcome injustice and circumstance should never be just a thing of the past, yet rather the thing that propels us to not just celebrate Dr. King's legacy in our race against racism year after year after year, yet moves us to be more like Christ, much like Dr. King, in our quest for equality and peace and just like all who made moves in love along with him to help make his dream a reality. Then we can be more than just free. <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic. Thank oh, you so much for that, Miss Felicia. That was wonderful. And we're so happy to have you with us today. That was a wonderful piece. Thank you for I'm having sure me. I'm you, sure you're more than welcome. I'm sure that's one of many, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's one of many, and actually it's probably two stanzas out of what I've turned it into a book. Oh, really? A, a Love Like Dr. King. Oh, A Love Like Dr. King. Yes. That mm -hmm. is an excellent title. Thank so, um, you. So, as we mentioned before, the poem, You're a Pillar in the Magnolia Community. I'm going to put that label on you, whether you like it or yeah, not. Yeah, well, I you see that. One. Thank you. You're, you're, you're very welcome. Um, of course, our, our podcast is in some small way dedicated to the community. Obviously, we named it after the street, uh, after the neighborhood. Um, tell us a little bit about your work. Um, before we, we went on the air, you were telling me a little bit about um, Divine Urban Expressions. Right. Yes. And and you have a couple of organizations. So why don't you just kick it off wherever yes. you want to? Okay. Well, Divine Urban Expressions, Cultural Arts and Dance started with me wanting to reach just one. So it's basically my own kids. Right. And yeah. And maybe it stemmed from me. I'm not from Knoxville. Okay. Where are you from? I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, okay. Yes. Birmingham, Alabama yeah. sounds familiar, right? Yeah, it does. And in Birmingham, they basically beat, they don't beat you, but they really beat into you about the civil rights movement. What they did when I was little, we knew all about the civil rights movement. And mm -hmm. the, the beginning of that poem that I didn't get to share talks about um, my experience marching um, and what I thought was just a regular parade. You know what I mean? Just being as a, um, having a grandmother and a mother that take you to everything that's happening, being going to schools that's connected to all of the civil rights stuff, not knowing until I, maybe 2019 when I went back down there that I was actually marching mm -hmm. and the the parades or the marches. So Dr. King was no longer there. Right. But the people who marched with him, they were still continuing mm -hmm. these parades. These well they were they were became more like parades because the schools right. jumped in with their bands. But there was the mar there were the original SCLC marches. Right. I had no idea. So I was like, oh I was being prepped. For yeah. this stuff, so I left Birmingham. I actually could have said, I I believe that I ran, 
because I was experiencing some things at 12 years old. I would notice the kids that were dying at the age of 12 mm -hmm. and 13 and 14. By the time I turned 18, I was just noticing the young men that were going to jail for basically nothing. And I said, I'm getting the heck up out of here. And I'm going to take... Well, I would just believe once I went to college in Berea, I believe that I was doing something good. I believe that I was saving the men in my family because I went to college. I took a four-month-old baby. She was a girl. But I just, in my mind, I would save the lives of the men in my family. Mm -hmm. I just knew I wasn't going back down there. Right. And, and I just started inviting everybody up with me. Like, I didn't really do it. I felt like Harriet Tubman. It was not necessarily me doing it on purpose. Like, right. My um, baby daddy's car got burned in Birmingham. Right. And I was like, oh, we got to get you up out of there. Right. So I brought him up. Then he reached back and brought my brother up. <laughs> right. And then years later, my son was born. Okay. So, and they all, they all now are thriving. Okay. So where, whereas the people that I grew up, they're gone. A lot of them are gone. And when I went to school in Berea, so I'm saying this was something that was in me, but I didn't really know what I was feeling. Right. I just knew I wasn't moving back to Birmingham. Right. But in 2010, when I came to Knoxville, I came to Knoxville in 20, 2005, but it was in 2010 that I experienced the loss of one of my friend's son in, in Knoxville. Mm. But I felt like still it wasn't that bad in Knoxville. I just felt like whatever I could do to prevent it from getting like Birmingham. But all I know is in 2019, um, a couple of people. So some of the girls who went to college with me, that were from Birmingham. Right. All of us escaped thinking that we were going to make a better life. They went back there in 2019. My roommate's son was found dead, burnt up in a car. And then the other girl who, and all of us brought our babies to college with us. So they were babies. But when they got to be older at 19, they're in Birmingham. Right. And two of them got killed. They were boys. One found on the side of the road. The same year, found out that my little cousin, who I never got a chance to meet, who was into the music. I had been trying to find people into the music. Right. And find out he was dead and he was a musician. Went live for like having like having a shootout. I ain't know none of that. Right. So, But this is all the stuff that was happening in Birmingham in 2019 when I was like, I got to get down there. I got to take mm -hmm. my showcase. But in 2021... Um, Knoxville experienced this, this this crazy. It was like eight kids, all from the same school right. that had to be the school that my children went to. Right. So that was Austinese, and that's what kind of got us out in the community right. and saying, "Hey, love is the answer," which we started back in 2015, okay. right before Xavier was killed. Um, we was like, hey, we're going to take it to the streets. Tell us a little bit about Xavion. Um, okay. Because we, we're, I mean, we have listeners in Germany. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, that young man and, and yes. the sort of nationwide impact that he yeah. had. Yeah. So Xavion was the um, the young the young guy, from my opinion, was just was a regular kid. Right. And I think um, just from watching the stories myself, right. he was just headed home from a game. Felt like it was the last day of school or something right. because it was like right around Christmas break. Right. And and he was just chilling with his friends on the front porch when some guys well during. I mean, we never really know. I mean, I didn't never really know because I wasn't too involved right. with the case, like why they did what they did. Right. But I'll tell you, around that time. A lot of kids had died. Right. So he was just one of the um, several kids that were going to lose their life mm -hmm. at this time. So they always say, like, it's gang initiation. I never understand no. how that happens right. and if it even is. Right. But he ended up killed. I feel like they were as a walk by. Mm -hmm. They went running through shooting. Right. I don't even know if they were in a car. And so, yeah. So he um, was just in the line of fire. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the news spins it, and I'm not saying it didn't happen this way, but when everything cleared, he um, was on top of yeah. a couple of girls. Right. So he shielded those girls right. and became known as a hero, right. but mainly because Barack Obama got whiff of the story mm -hmm. in the middle of everybody trying to fight for right. gun sense laws. Right. So it made sense to say his name, right. and when they did, he ended up with a park end up with the skating right. rink and uh, just a lot of things uh, to save our sons um, grant money you know was right. um, dispersed within the city so all because of that but my my thing is he wasn't the only child no 
and the, and then I'm I'm glad that they did. Um, I feel like what came out of that is they saw Xavier as a hero because he laid down his life yeah. for his friends. And for us, love is the answer. Right. So if anything, I want to make sure that he gets recognized for the fact that he was selfless right. in that act. Yeah. yeah, but the fact that that this could have been prevented. Oh, sure. Yeah, and that's Absolutely. where we we wanted. Where we came in with Love is the Answer. We want people to understand that there are children, there are young people that are struggling with untreated traumas and all kinds mm -hmm. of things, and they're perpetuating a cycle of violence. Yep. And really what needs it, the, the smaller solution is love. Oh, yeah. and, and building a stronger village in love around those families. And when we don't do that, you get young people being mm -hmm. killed. And and although, I mean, we do, I've learned from my friend, when she lost her son, we like to think that these young people who are perpetuating violence, mm -hmm. that they're the suspects. Well, they're still victims yep. because they were babies. They're all young. When mm -hmm. I say babies, when they don't have the right knowledge to move, they don't have right. all the information to make the right moves. And they are responding in trauma. There's nothing in the school that's saying, hey, this is how you respond to this, right. what you're dealing with. This We're going to teach you how to respond to anger. We're going to teach you how to, you know, you know what I mean, just de-escalate right. the situation. Or what are you learning in history that reminds you right. or tells you that what Dr. King fought for was nonviolence? That was really what it was all about. Because there was a, in the 60s, there was uh, at least an ideology out there that we need to do this by any means necessary. Yes. Sort of the Malcolm X type movement yes. versus the Dr. King kill him with love and kindness yes. message. Um, and just a quick anecdote on my part, I became, I guess you could call me an ally. Um, I don't, I'm not crazy about that term, but it's well, the way you, you describe that. it. Yeah. Yes. And, and what really turned my head, what really spun my, me around was uh, Trayvon yes. in Miami. And uh, a couple of years prior to that, uh, perhaps the biggest basketball star in the world, LeBron James, um, had gone to Miami. And um, when this poor child who had gone to the store to get a nice tea and some Skittles gets mm -hmm. walked down from behind by a man um, high on amphetamines and shot in the back. Then found mm. not guilty. Remember, Zimmerman was found not guilty for murdering Trayvon. Mm. Um, they call like it self-defense. How do you use it? Self-defense. He's fourteen. He has back turned to you. You know, mm. he had a bag of Skittles and, and a he's nice screaming tea. for his life. Yeah, and and you shot him in the back. When I saw the Miami Heat basketball team, um, Le LeBron organized a photograph, and. They, it was all of the, the NBA players on the Miami squad with black hoodies on and the hoodies pulled over their head. And it says, we're all Trayvon. And, mm. the, and that, was the, that, that, that moved something in me. Mm. I was 28 uh, when that happened. So I, you know, I, had, I had seen it. My grandfather grew up in Knoxville in the 1930s and mm. 40s and talked about how the Great Depression piled poverty on top of poverty. So there really wasn't, even though Jim Crow existed, there really was no way to enforce it. Mm -hmm. Everybody, if you were poor and you're white and you grew up downtown, then you got, you know, the African-American community, white community, you know, were jammed on top of each other. It was more about class than it was about mm -hmm. race. And he, he had this open-minded uh, view that a lot of people, uh, to be frank, a lot of people in my rural community did not have. And so I feel like I had a good teacher. But, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, my grandfather, you know, when we would say something like, well, you shouldn't use that terminology. You know, that's not the term we use today. And he said, well, you know, it's what, when I went to the baseball games, it's what they called it at the time. You know what mm. I mean? So, but I never understood just how deep uh, his, his thoughts and feelings were wow. about this subject. Because his first nanny, as a little boy, was an African American woman, she and him. and she raised him, and um, so he had that that sensibility, um, mm. which I, I'm thankful for. Because then, of course, I think it was um, 2016 when I actually watched Philando Castile die on television. Philando Castile was the gentleman, yes. you remember? Was you, yes. So I you mean it was that, the videos? 
when, when I was working an early, early morning job, and um, I would get up about 3 o'clock. Well, I woke up about 2, 2.15, and I couldn't go back to sleep. I thought, well, it, it, was, it was off that day. It was a Saturday morning. I thought, well, I'm programmed to wake up this early. So I turned on CNN, and this woman was Facebook live streaming her Philando's death. Oh, wow. you actually saw I watched it live, and I watched him slowly collapse onto her. You like, just happened to chime just, in to it. Just happened to chime in, had no idea. And I turn on CNN, and I'm thinking, is am I really watching? Are they going to show this man die on live television? And they did. He was alive when, now, the shooting had already happened, but and when the, the video chimes in, she's, you know, screaming. They actually detained her. After an officer killed her fiance, shot into a car with a four-year-old in the back seat five times, you know, no regard whatsoever for uh, the child, for her, you know, um, the man was carrying a, a weapon, but he was doing it legally. He had a permit to carry and, of course, was a custodian at the school. You know, all the kids at the school loved him. Oh, was my a, goodness. Yeah, so Philando was... When I when I saw that and I just thought the blatant disregard if that had been me driving through St. Paul being a, mm -hmm. a white but white man in his early 40s driving through and I said yes officer I have a permit you know I, I've got it's concealed on my right hip that I can't see it ending that way thank you you get what I mean oh I know exactly uh, what you be, mean. being a white man you know the the not to say the officer mm. wouldn't have washed my hands just that there wouldn't have been you know, you reach for your wallet and the gun goes off five times. You know what mm. I mean? He's, well, how do you want him to reach for his wallet? He told you he had a permit. He's got to get to his wallet first. Mm. So that, as time went by, and then I started developing the concept idea for this podcast, those those two events, now there have been many. Eric Garner, you know, another one, I Can't Breathe, you know, in, in New York, in Staten know. Island. Yeah, that, was, that was incredible, yeah. um, mm. it, it just how tone deaf, you know, the, the police department allowing that man to stay on payroll at $165,000 a year salary mm. for two years while they investigated what he did. We saw it. You choked the man to death. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, and you let him collect another 330000 in salary before you cut him yeah. loose, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, you know, that, that takes us all the way up to 2020 with uh, George Floyd. Wow. So that, that you know, having relationships in East Knoxville and in, in the Magnolia community, you know, especially through Logan, our, our uh, editor and engineer, um, that's what got me involved, I guess you'd say. And as the podcast grew and we started to really get serious about doing this, we thought we have to pay homage to the East Side in some way. So we actually named it wow. after the after the community and that's, that's where magnolia up. media pod came from that's yeah. beautiful and i'm gonna tell you something crazy i grew up in birmingham predominantly black like you said mm -hmm. white flight took place and i just i i may be only white people i knew it was weird was these kids in the projects mm -hmm. only white family that was at the school aside from my teachers and my teachers were nothing but love so i started questioning a lot of stuff you know when you talk about racism i'm like well I just, it's like it's got to be something else. Like, what, what would make these women want to come in this predominantly black school? And I start seeing, I just start seeing things. And I just have respect for them. But when I moved to Knoxville and being in Berea College, all mostly white. Yeah. And then being in Birmingham, yeah. all black. Yeah. I wanted, a, I need to be, or I saw in Knoxville. Blacks and whites struggling yep. together yep. <laughs> in That's the East true. Knoxville. That's and true. I loved it. That's yeah. where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to struggle or if I'm going to be somewhere, I'm going to be where I see everybody, you know, together. A multicultural, multicultural struggle. struggle. Mm -hmm. We all together, which kind of was, was breaking down a lot of stereotypes and crazy stuff that have been taught. You know, only the black people are struggling. Right. And I know people, I'll get a lot of. People gonna say that's not true, but if, if you've never been outside of Knoxville, then you might think that. Have you never been outside of Birmingham? Right. Well, I went to California and I didn't see a lot of black people struggling. Mm -hmm. I saw 
the Hispanic people showed. Yes. I saw a Native American lady yes. look like she was diving in a in oil, mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, where the black people struggling at? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, this struggle is universal. Yes, it is. We all are struggling in some sense. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why I don't know. I don't want us all to struggle, but I feel like there's not. I don't want to believe that we're the only ones that, you know, what I'm saying that are in need of. You know what I'm saying? Services and love right. and stuff. I just feel like that's something that somebody taught us. I feel like Dr. King was trying to unite all the people who were struggling together. And mm -hmm. had he, um, well, he was killed to prevent that. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> yeah, was what he was, he was working what, on. Yeah, he that's was, what he was working he on. He was spinning from racism to, to classism yes. just as they killed that's him. That's what he was doing. Yeah, he was, he was so creative in how he was doing it. Mm -hmm. So he had to get one group, then he had got the next group, and he was putting them all together. And I feel like... And, and nobody better not take me out, but if they do, <laughs> I feel like they knew what he was doing. Right. At first, they was like, oh, he's so, you know what right. I'm saying? He's so harmless. He's not like Malcolm. He right. just, you know, he bringing everybody together. He got them responding love. <laughs> you know, they're not fighting us back and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then when they saw what he was doing and how he was really mobilizing yeah, right. all these people, mm -hmm. then that's when it was like, shut him down. Yeah. It does feel that yes. way. Because yes. Malcolm came mm -hmm. at it from a much more virulent yes. you know, in the beginning. place. In the beginning. In the beginning. Yes. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with the uh, uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad and, and that saga and how, yes. it, how it all unfolded. And he was gone quickly. I yes. Mean, you know, Malcolm left such a huge imprint on American history. Yes. And the man wasn't around that long. I mean, no. at least not on, on that yes. you know, platform mm -hmm. until the early 60s. And he was killed in 65. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't... I'm now older than Martin Luther King was when, when he died. We have to remember that Dr. King was only 38 years old and mm. did all that he did by the age of 38. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then laid down his life at the end of it. He yes. knew it was coming. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. There's <laughs> a lot of When he take up your cross and follow me, he actually did. And and even the fact, you know what I'm saying, a lot of Christians like to talk about things he's supposed to do, but they never talked about the fact that Dr. King was really following those scriptures. Mm -hmm. Like the love mm -hmm. piece came out the scriptures and everything he was doing was things that he read about what he was supposed to do. It was like a, it was just what he felt, but he didn't blast it. He right. didn't say, you know what I'm saying? Right. You had to be a Christian no, no, to no. do this. No. He didn't care about that at no, all. No, that's I not what it was about. Uh -uh. But he, he walked in that. Right. He walked in that love. That's what he was. And that's what I, I try to replicate. And right. that's what I try to teach. And I just feel like your grandfather was teaching you love. Mm -hmm. He modeled that love. He didn't even have to say yes, it. He right. modeled that love. And so now you were able to, you know, Accept me, right. get me in this program, let let me speak sure. <laughs> freely. Yeah, because Weird. you were taught that love. So now I'm on a mission right. to teach love to right. children, churches, right. communities, right. councilmen, all the seas, <laughs> this whole right. country. Because I feel that's what we didn't do. And people are like, um, you know, I was responding to this post um, on Facebook and the scenario in Birmingham, people die every day, mm -hmm. like just die every day. And it's this just said Alabama. Mm -hmm. And then um, somebody shared a post and then it did like a little blog. And what it said was the girl that it said, not everybody's your friend. And it said this one girl, she's killed. And when they found her, well, basically that phone, they had a phone message from the family member at 7 a.m. saying, come and get her because she had been um, kidnapped. Like, they do that a lot. But she was um, being held at ransom or something at 7. And so um, they, then they sent the address. So the family went to this address. I'm like, oh, we got this message that my daughter is here. And his friend said, no, she left at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then, um, and then it's like, what? Two o'clock in the morning. Then it came through the, through the news or something, came through the police scanner that a body was found at 219. Oh, okay. So that friend who said she left at 219, whether whoever did all that, they had something to do with it. Oh, yeah. So when that, the person was like, 
everybody's not your friend. And I always respond. And I said, well, when I respond, I always say, why are we not teaching love to our children? Why are we not teaching love as a first response to our children? That's all the things that I think about. And somebody's like, I don't agree with you 100%. Um, You know, but love is the answer. However, um, it's not all about that. It was like, uh, because a parent could teach their children the right way to go and they could turn from it and I'm like you missing the point they're not teaching them what love really is and for me it's whatever you want for yourself you want for somebody else you're not teaching them that like you would you don't want to die so why are you inflicting this pain but not even that this woman who killed this lady left behind helped this lady leave behind children and this she probably left behind children so they're not modeling or she wasn't modeling to her children how to respond what love looked like so that's going to be it's like a cycle of violence it is a cycle of violence it's going to be perpetuated so the same way the violence is being perpetuated the love can be perpetuated but it's not being because that's not what people are seeing it's It's not what they're accustomed to seeing so when you think about racism i can forgive the, the racist people that grow up because their fathers and their mothers yep. did not teach them. That's what I grew up around. Yes, yes. And you grew up around somebody who understood that that their struggle was the same as the black man's that's, struggle. That's right. And they didn't fall into that ploy no, to be able to, to, to go against that person that they should have been working with because y'all probably was experiencing the same. They was experiencing the same type they of was, stuff. They were all I equally just, hungry. Exactly. But I feel like it was over on the top of them that was mm-hmm. creating that. Because that's what you got to understand that it was law. Mm-hmm. I started studying the Clinton 12. And if you know about the Clinton 12, like in, in Clinton, look it up. Okay. Clinton is where, in Tennessee, yeah. where they were, it was the first school to segregate. They okay. said that it was a lot of first schools. Yeah. But it was the 12... <laughs> The 12 kids that were made, black kids, that were made to go to the white school in their district. It was a law now because after the whole Brown versus Board, somebody's mama said, I'm not going to be getting my kids up so they can be bussed all the way to Knoxville, which was a 45-minute drive Mm -hmm. when the school is just a five-minute walk. So when they decided to go to the Supreme Court and said, "Hey, we need for you to make this available for us," they did. But when it, well, when the Supreme Court kicks in, they make it a law, and you have to send your kids. So now twelve, now only one mama probably wanted it, but now all twelve kids had to mm. go, and everything was okay until somebody from up north came down. He was like, "To the going in the white community, you gonna let that happen? Bruh. You gonna let them them do you like that?" And then that's when the, the black community start being met with um, opposition, and they had to end up calling in the the national guard to 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 walk these kids, um, you know what I'm saying, to school. Right. But it was the pastor, the white pastor there, right. that stood up, and he walked with these kids every day mm-hmm. to school, every day. Mm-hmm. And what they what they had jumped on him, beat him up, and I think it was one point where he just got them all into the church, and he was like, "Look here." Y'all coming to church, and this is what you're supposed to be doing as Christians. Like, this is uh, us being against them is not what God told us to do. But if you go to the Green McAdoo Center, you're going to see all the letters that people wrote them and just condemning him moving in love. They were saying that God wasn't for that. It's what they were taught. Mm -hmm. Somebody taught them that it was wrong to mix races, it was wrong. But, but I noticed that um, after a minute, they, they start, I think the white football players, they started, you know what I'm saying, complying. Because mm-hmm. you know what they said? Well, it's the law. So it's whatever the law was. Right. And that's what it was. Most people were all on the racist tip and because they could also have been hung and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. While you had the Underground Railroad and many of those abolitionists were white men mm-hmm. and they you know they had to move underground yep. because they could have got killed and that stuff we don't think about no. we just like why were you you know why didn't you stand up because you know a lot of them were scared to but then there was the heroes right. that did say I'm gonna take my chance right. because I do want my children to experience mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like what you probably would have wanted for your kids right. to be in a united space right. you know, in the United States right. you know I mean we've mm-hmm. never we, it seems like this and, and, and even before the pilgrims got here um, it, it, you know seeing these book bans and seeing a book like the 1619 project be banned 
after it won a Pulitzer Prize in the state mm. of Florida, it's been pulled from the libraries. Wow. And, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones is, I mean, it's a fabulous piece of work. Wow. Um, explaining how uh, slavery began in the United States um, in 1619. And, and to think that here we are having book burnings in 2023, mm. 24 in a state like Florida, a state like Alabama, mm. where they're, they're not only having the same racial struggles that they've had, mm -hmm. but now they're singling out women and it doesn't say anything about one race or another and attacking women's reproductive rights in a state mm. like Alabama. I mean, now in vitro fertilization is on the chopping block in Alabama. The state Supreme yeah. Court said that embryos that were being stored in a freezer counted as life. Therefore, can, you know, if an accident happens... The doctors or the hospital or the administrators can be held responsible for murder mm. in the state of Alabama now. This is which really doesn't make much sense when no they sense. have capital punishment and right. they're murdering people who never really got the services as children right. who they are allowing to come into this earth right. without the right, right services. So you're gonna allow them to come into the earth. You're gonna penalize the mothers for having that. You know the. They're, you know, whenever they're scared, they right. don't want to bring a child right now into this world. Right. So now you, you, you're making them have right. these kids. You're not giving them the, all the services that they right. need. And, you know, exactly. um, and then you're going to lock them up when they're not being treated, when they have uh, untreated traumas. Because I believe that we do more to criminalize those with the traumas than. Oh, yeah. And, we, and that's a way to exploit them. Uh -huh. So I just believe it's a lot of stuff. But then it's just really crazy that they, they're doing all this. And then... They put them in the lecture chair or whatever yeah. and kill them. Yeah. Why well, are we doing all of that? And, and it's the, the same. Reason. You're right. It's the same people. It's the the pro-life and, and, and white evangelical movement that has this fantasy that Christ, Jesus, you know, was carrying an AK-47 and, you know, was was, was was buying and selling stock. I mean, it was about poverty and exactly. love. I mean, and... And the first thing, it was like the Super Bowl commercial where, you know, you've got um, the, a pasture washing a gay man's feet or, mm. you know, a racist person, well, you know, sitting in whatever kind of clan yeah. outfit or whatever, washing the feet of a black person. You know, oh, I was, missed that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh. I don't know. It was some um, uh, Christian organization that posted it. I, I don't, love you, that. You have to, yeah, you have to check that out okay. online sometime. It was a 2024 Super Bowl exactly, commercial. Exactly, yeah. And, and, but that, that... You know, I you know I heard actually it was Doctor Scott Galloway, or yeah, Professor Scott Galloway. Uh, Logan and I were listening to his podcast today, and he said, "I feel like if Christ did return, he would what was it, Logan? He would uh, vomit on your desk. He, he would, yeah, he, he would was, walk in and he, just vomit. He on would, your desk. yeah, he would walk into you know, um, one of these white Republican lawmakers' office who claimed to be." you know, living in the image of Christ mm. and, and, and and Jesus would throw up on their desk. Yeah. You know, because these things don't make any it's sense. Not, it's no different from the ones who actually killed them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I'm sure if you asked, um, if you asked any of their assassins, you know, that well, they... Just like they, that uh, creepy priest, um, Pastor um, Peter Copeland. Yeah. The Well, we've all seen him on the news. And, oh. You know, it's just... I'm begging for money, and he's one of the uh, uh, white evangelical ministers on TV. Who... Is that the one with the plane? Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah, the one with the plane, the one okay. with the crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, he said he didn't want to fly commercial because he didn't want to be stuck in a tube right. full of demons. Mm. Full of demons. I mean, mm. I mean, come on now. That's so how then, you look at your fellow man. And that's the whole thing. So I feel for me and, and my work is really is to remind people about love. Mm. The, like it's really about love like the whole Christian religion I mean if you're Christ centered it's simply about mm -hmm. love yep. the greatest command was to love others to love God but to love others as you love yourself yep. so for me it's just to highlight the love direct the people back to the love mm -hmm. so we have this showcase called love is the answer community showcase okay. we pass the mic to the young men the young women and mothers and children I've done it a few times. Yes, so yeah. yes. He has actually done the sound information, sound tech. Yeah, for our actual, we had a... Because we like giving away money. So we had... <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, because that's one thing. People are struggling. Yeah. You know, and that's my thing about these kids when we went to the, the you know, to tell her what we needed. 
They need money. Like you want them to stop selling drugs? Give them a real job. Right. Like support their podcast right. and stop expecting them to work at McDonald's right. because it's not gonna work. No, you know, put them, give them they, what they love to do. Help them to figure out what they love to do. They are actually amazing when it comes to um, money. You you mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, like teach them about you know being a financial advisor. Give them you know an internship or scholarship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But don't lock them up for selling no. drugs or teach no. them how to do it the right way you know so that's what it's about for us just highlighting that love love is the answer and currently me and my son are touring our mother and son tribute to Mamie and Emmett and it is a creative production called Healing Hearts and my son is 18 so I know a lot of people kind of I felt like in the day they wouldn't listen to me because nobody had died I didn't lose a child I have five children and I'm not losing a child I don't have to lose a child and I want you to know that there is a way to sow into these children's lives help them where they are stop stop feeding them false hope and you will see what you expect they won't be killing nobody and they will be productive citizens and that's all because they have a village my son has is very creative, very talented, and we ain't had no money. Mm-hmm. But he's been to see Debbie Allen. He's practiced with her for a month. He's danced with uh, Kenny Ortega, and it's all because of the village that have sown into us right. when we asked and said we need things. Right. There are so many mothers that say, hey, I need help with my child. Nobody help them. Right. They look at them crazy until they child out there doing right. crazy stuff, and they're gone. And then they want to come, you know, after the fr- during the funeral and show up. Right. But I want people to know that they have the power. Mm-hmm. And the same way, I want to remind them they have the power. The same way you show up at the funeral. Right. The same way you, you nobody's even telling you what color to wear. You already know what to wear. Right. You already know what to bring. You don't even be upset, you know, when they tell you the funeral going to be, you know, five days after he died. You just know to be ready. Mm-hmm. That's the way we should be at all times when it comes to our children and our families and our our community, our people that right. are in need. Just be ready to respond vigilant. in love. Be mm-hmm. vigilant and if, and you know what? Just think about yourself. Be be empathetic. What is it that you want? It's not about being selfish, but it's whatever you want. You make that happen for the next man. You know, stop right. stop being selfish and stop exploiting. Mm-hmm. Our families and saying, hey, you know, I'm going to use all these grant money that we're getting to help y'all. And only you can make your rent. We can't make our rent. You got millions of dollars and we can't make our rent. If you just helped us buy a house, we wouldn't be out. We we could pay attention to our children more. So it's just stuff like that. And I just want to just say that I love this dance. (laughs) I think you're you're absolutely correct because... We, we also don't, when we've learned so much, you know, when it comes to mental health in the last 20 years about multi-generational trauma. Mm. And so we're piling trauma on top of trauma, Thank on you. top of trauma, on top of trauma. Yes. And I mean, so we're talking about fifth generation, sixth generation traumatized yes. babies. And that's you know, what I wanted to say. Without parents and, and they're being, it's <sighs> either go work for seven twenty-five an hour at McDonald's Pulled or away. take up something awful. You know, yes. but it's going to make you two fifty, three hundred a day, yeah. you know, versus going and working. You might make 60 bucks yes. in a day at McDonald's versus standing on a corner somewhere. Yes. But, you know, from my personal experience, just for me, when I go to that community and I live in West Knoxville, so I live on in a, a bit more affluent, you know, uh, yes. neighborhood than, than, than Magnolia. You don't see no homeless people over here. No, you don't. You don't. Uh, we, we have... Some here and there, but it's nothing like that. Yeah, they're not too far away. <laughs> yeah, uh, they moved them downtown. We had somebody, yeah. when we actually had someone wander into the uh, uh, office here not too long ago mm-hmm. and make themselves a cup of coffee. And the, okay. the, the office manager left them. <laughs> exactly. Like, Nobody well, hey, called the police. Not, nah, yeah. No reason for that. Just, no. Just understanding that, yeah. You, right. Once you've had your coffee, go right. ahead. Right, right. And, and meet their need. needs right. and get them where they need right. to go. I and mean, so, direct them. And we're, we don't do it. We don't seem to have any interest in that. And yes. and it's convenient, right? When it's convenient, you know, it, it, they're there. It, when it then they're not convenient, then they're creating a racial trope. You know, mm. I mean, well, this happens. Well, you know, yeah, right. it happens. You know, right. But what I was getting at a moment ago about East and West, where I'm at. I'm I'm far more likely to see a Maserati or new Corvettes and Ferraris and you know high end cars and things like that. But I'll be damned if anybody lets you out in traffic. 
have mm. anybody do anything for you at all no. over here. Oh, now, no. on the, I'm on the east side, yes. and you have no problem with those types of things. No, see? It's one of the, you know, now, of course, if you go looking for trouble, you'll find it. You're going to find it, and but, you should not be out at 3 o'clock in the morning right. on yeah. the east side. I ain't no, I'm not going to be out and there. You, no. I don't think you should be nowhere like that in no. anywhere because you're going to be asking for you're, it. You're, yeah. you're exposing yourself <laughs> yeah, to, to anywhere. the troubles out there. Right, <laughs> yes. exactly. But I find there's a level of warmth yes. and community on that side Same. of town that we don't have. See, I, um, you know, I got people that live on the west side. And when I would spend the night, my car would be broken into. I can't tell you why I stay on the east side. But people have to tell me, you don't lock your door. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Right. But I better, I'm going to lock my car door when I'm over here. Right. Because they're going to steal stuff. Right. But I mean, because they said it, you know. That's what it reaches out. That they come steal stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. Sophisticated criminals. Yeah. So they're coming over here. Yeah. Uh, to get with, but you know, it was just, it, you know, it's it. it, it was, I was in a, a situation where I had to to move quickly, you know, and and so I, you know, this this was a great spot, and yeah. I like it here just fine. I'm not saying anything bad about my neighbors. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, there is a, there is a warmth and a sense of, of, yes. of compassion uh, on that side of town that yeah. we just don't have, and it keeps drawing me back. I mean, yes, I I beautiful. spend almost as much time there as I do here between shoveling Logan back and forth and spending time there, and I do not feel threatened as See? a white man walking the street. I don't feel the least yeah. bit of I don't feel eyes on me or nothing else. No, I mean, there because to a certain extent. The East Side, like you said, it's it's more multicultural yes. than say a city like Montgomery. Yeah, you know I mean, you know, it is where, true. Uh, yeah, I have to tell. I'm sorry, I have to tell yeah. my my black people when they're like, you know, I'm just telling them you don't know, you just not about that life. Stop it mm -hmm. because this is not Birmingham. Like they don't understand. Like they want to be. You know what I'm saying? It's this mm -hmm. what they see. They want to glorify these things and say this stuff that Knoxville is a bad place. We you know. It's, when it comes to violence and stuff, like, he's not that bad compared mm -hmm. to all these other places. Right. So, yeah, and if we take a hold on it now, if we start moving in love now or continue to move in love, we can really be a model city yeah, for more places. Say how what it looks like us working together, you know, and meeting the needs of, you know, of everybody that's struggling. Yeah. Stop exploiting them and let's, let's meet their needs completely. Because so. there's a lot of exploitation, and, and it feels to me like they they arrest you at 18 or 19 years old, and this, this happens in communities of every color, mm -hmm. but they get you at 18 or 19 years old, they got you in the system, they, they, they've weighted you down with fines, now you've got a, an, a, an anchor around your neck pulling you to the bottom of the ocean. And it's just a meat grinder. Yeah, and now when they pull you over, mm -hmm. you're scared, and the other people of a different complexion mm -hmm. who never walked in your mm -hmm. shoe could not understand why you would respond the way you would respond in that situation when in the, in the system that should have corrected you or helped you, right. then terrified you. Now mm -hmm. you are so traumatized, mm -hmm. and why would you not respond the way you're going to respond? Right. It's like It seemed like it's meant to happen. Right. Yeah. My, uh... My stepsister um, was shot um, as a part of a gang initiation in mm. Chattanooga. Um, and it was a 15-year-old boy that shot her. Um, he was being initiated into a street gang of some kind. And the she lived. She was hit in the arm. The, the bullet went through the door, hit her in the arm. Mm. She had to have surgery on her abdomen where the bullet stuck. But um, she survived. She was fine. And, but the the reaction to it in my family um, was so racial. And it, it, hold on just a minute now. It? Let's take a step back for a second. Yes. It, who knows what this young man who was riding around with, I think the second youngest person in the car was 21 or 22. Mm. So he's riding around with these grown men. Who knows what kind of pressure was being yeah, put see? on him to squeeze that trigger? See? We'll never know because they were killed later that night. What? The same, yeah. The, the, the were four, four boys in the car, the wrong guy. They, they shot into the wrong car door, you know, as far see? as gang initiation. And all four of them got killed by a man who was prepared to be shot at. You wow. Know? Uh, you never know who you're messing with exactly. out there. You know? and, and 
you know, trouble just begets trouble yes. begets trouble. It's sort of like this multi-generational trauma. That yeah, that's about. exactly what it is. And I was going to say, though, so my passion for really trying to reach those children who are impacted by, I want to say, overcoming the loss of loved ones, right. that stemmed from me being a second-generation survivor. And nobody's going to talk about what happened. Right. But in Birmingham, Alabama, when my grandmother killed, my grandfather killed my grandmother. Oh, my. And it was doing, it was it was like right around the time. Right. I mean, everything's related when you talk about racial violence. I feel like we're perpetuating a cycle. My grandfather was an amazing, amazing uh, artist as a brick mason. But in the 60s or whatever, couldn't find work to save his life because it was racist in Fairfield, Birmingham. So he had to work in a steel mill in a steel mill where they treated and he was like a foreman and they treated him very bad right. well he fought and everything but he was he drunk a lot so he would come home and take all that out on his wife and he didn't necessarily mean to kill her he would pull that gun out on everybody i heard but the fact that he thought that the, the firing pins was in and i'm saying this because family members right. listening and they've told themselves that it was um he didn't do it on purpose and i believe because my mom met him Years after she got with my father, and he said he didn't mean to do it. But it was untreated trauma. Mm -hmm. And that untreated trauma left eight kids behind. And eight kids, at least my good, my father became an alcoholic. And, uh, and two or three of them, just these Christian fanatics that condemned everybody to a lake of fire. Oh, yeah. So, But there was no forgiveness in the, in the my dad forgave mm -hmm. his father. And that's actually how I know my grandfather. And that might be... What kind of went in my blood mm -hmm. is to try to teach true love right. that that's forgiving and help people to you know just become empowered right. to be a part of the solution. Right. So anyway, it's all this untreated trauma. That's what I learned. I started with trying to stop the right. violence, and now it's about helping families to heal, right. to heal from the trauma of losing loved ones. So I've I've written poems. Yeah, we, I we're get gonna out finish here with the poem, poem. aren't we? Yes. We're gonna get one more before yes. this is over. And we're ready for that. Okay. Uh, if if you've touched on everything you'd like Not to touch much. on, I, I just want to say that we've lost a couple of kids in this fight. Right. And so it has challenged me to stay in the fight. Right. I actually, I feel like every time we would lose a child was when I try to go and work a real job. Right. So now I'm back <laughs> working divine urban expressions, trying to promote what we do in hopes right. of getting contracts with the school. That's what I'm right. saying. So we can they can contract us out, stop calling us nonprofit because we want to make profit so right. we can have control of revenue to build to get buildings right. that we can't we can't rent for eight thousand dollars a month. So we need to buy something because that stadium is really destroying our community. Right. So it's a lot of stuff. But yeah. I just want to say rest in peace to Robbie Matthews. Okay. And if you go to our um, YouTube channel, you're going to see videos from him. You're going to see a video that we made. Watch your a YouTube song. channel. It's Divine Urban Expressions. Divine Urban Expressions. Uh -huh. And look up Love is the Answer. Love is and the then answer. Love is the Answer is going to show you all our videos. You're going to see a young man rapping about unity in the community. Okay. That's the first video. Then look for Rest in Peace King Rob because then you're going to see how he was saying that he believed that our efforts would change this world. Because And he said one thing we taught him was positivity. Now, this boy loves to smoke weed, did all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and why would he not? In right. a city, you know, with all the stress right. and all the things that was going on in his family. And he, he was raised by his grandmother. His mother and him pretty much kind of just mm -hmm. left him to the mom, grandma. Right. And he didn't recognize that he had love already. Right. So he would go to the other people that, that didn't have that love in their heart. Right. And they thought he was a snitch. They thought he was crazy because right. he was so loving. Right. And it, it ended his life because they thought that he was going to, I feel like they thought he was going to tell them about something crazy. And all he really wanted to do was be in a space where there was a microphone. Right. And that's what most of them had. Right. <laughs> and we didn't have it. And we had been looking for a studio. Right. So if I had a space, that's where Sean is going to be. Sean right. was shot a week after Robbie, but he lived. Oh, Chocolate you. was killed. She killed herself. Um, right, she did, her brother didn't make this wall, but she was she died um, right after losing about all those kids at Austin East. Mm. She was a student at Austin East, and she said nobody understood what she was going through. Right. So I want to pass the mic to kids to let other kids know that they're not in this alone, right. and that creatively, how they've been 
coming up out of it, creatively how I've come up out of it, how my father has come up out of it, you know. So that's that's what we're on. So I want to share this poem. It's called More Than Just Free. It's a creative piece. Okay. And um, it's just talking about us just moving in love to get where we got to okay. go. Well, we're ready for it whenever you're ready right. to. Well, if we truly knew our history, we wouldn't have time nor the mind to repeat it. Let us go back to the days when we were no longer slaves and our minds were fixed on remaining free and we were more than determined and moved in faith to be all that we knew we could be. Let's embrace those before us who were the great storms of many callows that can only be perceived in our minds and if ever there was a time to be grateful for their experience without actually experiencing their pain. Now is the time. Let us allow gratitude to keep us on the path that many of them only imagined one day they'd be, while keeping in mind that the same freedoms that we take for granted today are the exact same freedoms that many of them never got to see. And if we are to be moved to our destiny, let us do more than remain free, yet activate our power to fulfill our purpose on God's green earth, to be all he has created us to be. Let it move us to walk in faith, to illuminate and celebrate the great accomplishments and self-defining moments of not just sons and daughters conceived of mothers and fathers born enslaved, but of all those before us and amongst us refusing to allow the horrid events leading to and stemming from slavery throughout our history to seal their faith in the same way that we are moved beyond greatness at the thought of them pushing past their pain. Let us live in the light of their love for generations to come, thus refusing to allow their struggles toward freedom to be in vain. Let us allow the same love that propelled the great Carla G. Woodson, alumni of my alma mater, Berea College, to be known as the father of black history and to no longer allow us to perpetuate the mindset of an enslaved people. Yet premiate us to fill the shoes of a once-depressed people rising to the occasion to do more than just walk in their greatness. That's fulfilling our final destiny to be more than just free. So it is written, let it be done. One love. And that's when we all say, aight. So one love. Aight. Aight. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Felicia Utsi. Thank you. Been with us today. Uh, that will do it for us. I don't think we could one-up that if we tried. Uh, so we're going to just wind it down. Uh, I'd like to thank Logan Ramsey for editing today's podcast and engineering today's podcast. I produced and directed today's podcast. We also got technical support from Miss Courtney Halstead. So until next time, from the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network, be well. Be well.